Good morning. Good worship this morning, wasn't it? Um, I wasn't in here because I was wet. Uh, did y'all shake hands? Well, let's stand and welcome each other to the program, to the service today. Let's do that. All right. That's good. That's good. How you doing? Good. Uh All right. All right. Y'all can find your seats again. Hey, buddy. Morning. It is. It's kind of get the. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, I hope everybody's ready for 2018 because 2018 is coming tomorrow, whether you want it to or not. So you might as well just go ahead and and just say, "Okay, I'm ready for it," even though you might not be. Um, we thought that. Uh, this would be a good time to have communion, to start the New Year that way, is New Year's Eve and stuff like this. And so uh, today we'll be partake, partaking in communion, uh, but in order to do that, uh, we're going to have a message um, concerning communion, and Seth is going to help me, help me preach this morning. Uh, if you don't know Seth, Seth is on, on staff with us. Um, beginning in January, he's full-time, so uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, he's he's been he's been a real help to the church, and he he does everything from a simulation to kids to special events, and helps with all that. And he's just been a, a great help to me and a, a great service to the church. So we appreciate we appreciate him. Um, what are you what are you doing tonight? Sleeping. Sleeping. Okay. <laughs> Not going anywhere. Yeah, we're gonna spend some time with our in-laws. So okay. That would good. be good. Good. Yeah. Well, we. Have to check and make sure he's not partying <laughs> at night. You know, to have to keep a weathered eye on him. We do have a drone that follows him around. Um, while he was taking a nap one day in his office, I'm just kidding. He did, took a nap. We implanted a chip so the drone could follow him. But no, nah, that didn't really happen. All right, if you'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter eight. Hebrews chapter eight. And we'll read verses 1 through 3. All right. Hebrews chapter 8. All right, Hebrews 8, beginning with verse 1. It says this, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, 
not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So there's a few things about, about this text. It, some come from verse 2 and some from verse 3 that we want to cover today. Uh, first of all, there's something in, in verse 2 about a true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. So what is that tent and what does it mean? The, the next thing is this thing called the high priest. Now we know that there were regular priests, but what is a high priest? We're pretty sure that that is not a priest from Colorado. So it has to, it has to be something else and something a little more, more righteous and a little more clean. So, so the priests, we're going to discuss both of that. So the true tent that the Lord has set up is a reference to the Old Testament, to the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is different than the temple, though the function was the same. The tabernacle was what Moses and the children of Israel set up in the wilderness and took with them all the way into the promised land. The temple is modeled after the tabernacle in Jerusalem, and it's a permanent place. David, King David, wanted to build it, but God told him, no, Solomon will build that for me. But the tabernacle was very mobile, so you could move it places. So everywhere they went in the, in the wilderness, they could take the tabernacle with them and, and, you know, worship God, do their sacrifices, and connect with him in that manner. So the tabernacle looked like this. So you had this outer court, and you see where the people are. And in that outer court that's surrounded, you know, defined, you had an altar where they made the sacrifices, and it was pretty, pretty substantial, pretty large. And then you had a basin of water where the priest washed their hands. Now, that little area that's right behind there is, is the actual temple itself. It's, it's got two parts in it. It's got a holy place, and it's got a most holy place. The holy place is where any priest could go into any time. And the most holy place, only one priest could go in once a year. In that most holy place, actually, is where the Ark of the Covenant is, and it resided. And it was also where God chose to reside in his presence among the Israelites. Now, what you may or may not know is that this temple is actually, actually has parallels to the Garden of Eden. For instance, the Garden of Eden was a special place on earth where God came down to dwell with his people. He didn't dwell anywhere else. He came to the garden, and he walked among his people. Here, we have the most holy place, and he can't walk among the people, but he can meet with, you know, several of them, and Seth will get into that in a minute, a couple of times. So his presence is with the people, though he didn't walk with them like the garden. The front of the uh, tabernacle was always faced east. Well, the Garden of Eden was in the east. Another thing about this is the priest and the high priest were, were told that they needed to guard and protect or cultivate, guard and cultivate the temple worship to make sure it kept on going. Well, in the Genesis account, the same two Hebrew words are given to Adam and Eve when they are told to guard and cultivate the land. So there's something about this temple that God is communicating to mankind, and this is it. You have fallen, and I, I want to have a relationship with you, and I want to have a connection with you. I can no longer come down and walk with you in physical form, but what I can do is I can create a temple 
and a place where you can make sacrifices to where there is some sort of connection between me and you. And so here, God is saying that I want to have a connection with you. But he's also saying something else. He is saying that one day, you're no longer going to need a tabernacle. That's what he's saying. And he is saying that I, my plan is to restore the relationship I had with Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell. And this is all a foreshadowing of that event in the future. And so God came down and he created this temple and this kind of temple system so that man would know, first of all, that there was a way for them to get forgiveness of their sins, that God still cared about them, and that his goal in life was to one day create a new world where his people could live and dwell. So that is the tabernacle. So when it says here, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord had set up, not man, it is referring to this tabernacle, but also a tabernacle that is somewhere else, that is up in heaven. Um, Notice uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It says these words. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which was the lampstand. By the way, the lampstand is in the form of a tree, which also connects to the Garden of Eden. And the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded. And there were tables of the covenant. Above it were cherubim of the glory overshadowing the mercy seat of the things we cannot now speak in detail. So with that said, Seth, why don't you explain to us what the priests were and what the high priests were. So God appointed high priests as special representatives um, of God to the people. They were, they were a mediator to go between God and between the people. And it really it worked both ways. They didn't only just represent God to God's people in Israel. They also represented God's people to God. And so they, they played in that mediator sense. Um, second is this, is they had this holy standard of living that God gave them. Um, when they became high priests, they were consecrated. And for about a full week, there was a seven-day period where they went through ceremonial cleansing, where they went through um, offering sacrifices and all these different offerings in order to make them pure before God. But it didn't just stop there. They had to remain holy and pure because of the work that they were doing. Um, It was very important because this whole holy thing is very important to God. God is holy. He's set apart. And the high priest going into the presence of God had to remain holy. And if he did go into the presence of God without um, remaining holy, with sin in his heart and with sin inside of him, um, he risked bringing great guilt on the nation of Israel. And so it's really important that he remained holy. Now third is this, is that all priests offered sacrifices. Um, It's just something that they did. But the high priest, he offered two very special sacrifices on a very special day called the Day of Atonement. And this is when he, they were, so there were two sacrifices that, that he did. It was two goats. 
And so the first one is he killed, he killed the goat, and he took the blood from the goat, and he went into the most holy place that Pastor Philip was talking about. Um, this place was where God's presence resided. And he took the blood into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled it as an offering. Going back to Leviticus, um, God says that the, um, the life of the animal is in his blood. So they literally took the life of this goat, and it was um, to cover the sins of man. It was, it was to be the, substi- um, um, to t- the substitute, what was the word I'm looking for there? The substitute for the sins of the people, so that, they, that this goat's blood would take the punishment and not God's wrath. Um, but the second was this, is that um, there was... Uh, there was another goat that they took outside of the camp. And what the high priest did is that he laid his hands on this goat and he confessed the sins of Israel on this goat. And then he let it go. He didn't kill it or anything. He just let it go. This was symbolic of God taking away the sins of Israel. Now, one more thing that's really interesting is that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and he was sprinkling the blood, is all the nation, they waited there eagerly for the high priest to return and come back so that they knew that their sins were taken care of. So the Day of Atonement, as you probably picked up, was, was something that covered the nation's sin, a whole group of people's sins. And, and from the blood, like you explained, it, it totally it cleansed in that particular regard, and then it took the way the sins of the world. If you remember John the Baptist in John says, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. That means that Jesus represents both of those goats. The blood that is shed for sin and the man that after the resurrection takes away the sins of the world. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Now, look back in Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 11, says this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption. This means that Jesus does not have to die again for your sins and for my sins. It also means that it covers our sin in a more perfect way than lambs and goats and birds in the sacrificial system. In Hebrews, it tells us that the atonement was limited. It was limited to the outside of a person. It did not change the conscience of a person. It did not change the inside of a person. It is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his once-for-all sacrifice that not only can we be cleansed on the outside, which is in the future, but we are immediately cleansed on the inside, and our conscience is made different. We have a new life in Christ because of his sacrifice. Well, where do you get that from? Check this out. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons 
with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that's the outside, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Because Jesus' sacrifice was greater, your life and our life in Christ is greater. He lives inside of us. We have a new life inside of us. Our sins are forgiven, and we can follow him with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is something that they did not have in the Old Testament. It is something totally new for this generation, for the last days, for this age of grace. And it's amazing. I am thankful that God no longer, well, I am thankful that Jesus Christ's atonement is not limited. That's a better way of putting it. I'm glad that it covers my outside and my inside. I am also glad today, as we remember Jesus' death, that it's a once-for-all sacrifice, and it's eternal. That means that I cannot lose my salvation. I can sin today and still go to heaven. I can fall today and still go to heaven. Not that I want to sin, but I'm going to. When I get on Farmington Road, it's hard to go 55. <laughs> it's just as hard to go 55. I sin every time I'm on Farmington Road. I try my best. I set the cruise control, but it's something that just goes a little slow. But this is what I know. Even when I'm in sin, if Jesus Christ was to come back, my salvation is eternal. So if you think you've done some stuff that no longer qualifies you to go to heaven, you didn't qualify to go to heaven when you received Jesus in the first place. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, had a high standard, a holy standard that he offered his blood, and we can never reach that. He's already reached the standard for you. All you have to do is accept him as a savior, and you have a relationship with him. It is an amazing, amazing thing. Skip over to verse 23. This is what it says. Thus, it was necessary for the, for the, maybe I need a set of younger eyes. Thus, it was, you know, why don't you read that? Because okay. I can't see it. <laughs> Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our, our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has, set, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, that after comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. So today we remember Jesus Christ, his body was broken and his blood was shed for you and me so that we would have a way to get to heaven, so that we could have a relationship with Jesus so that we could be on the path to one day live with him in eternity in a 
perfect world in a perfect place where we no longer have to worry about sin and evil and death any longer. God has a plan and he is taking us somewhere and this is just all representations of that fact. So, as we begin to start going toward communion, what we need to do is we need to bow our heads and confess our sins to the Lord. And in Scripture, it tells us in John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, Corinthians tells us that we do not need to take this meal with sin on our hearts. So once we confess, our heart is then ready to partake of this meal and remember Jesus' death. So in this moment of silence, let's just bow our heads and just ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins so that we can be ready to take this meal. So our Heavenly Father, we um, come with loving and humble hearts to you today. We're asking you to forgive us of our sins as you have promised to do. We know that you took care of that penalty through the blood of Jesus Christ and his death. And we're remembering that great gift today. It's an amazing gift. In fact, it's, it's the best gift that we've ever received, and we praise your name for that. So this morning, we, in obedience to what you said in Scripture, we are going to take this bread, and we're going to remember your body that was beaten, that was spat upon, that tried to carry a cross all the way up to Golgotha, that struggled in breathing while it was hanging from there, that finally gave way into death, a death that consequently released us from the power of sin. We are thankful to you today, Father, for taking our punishment. We praise your name for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If our deacons and elders will come forward at this time.
Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take and eat. So after that, he, um, Jesus took the cup and passed it around the room. What I would like you to do today, a little bit different, let's stand, and I would like you to sing the song with me as the uh, men come around and pass the cup to you.
So God is into foreshadowing. He likes shadows and symbols. He had a temple that foreshadowed and symboled a future death on a cross. And then he left us with this, which is a shadow of the past, of his blood, his life, that he substituted for ours. His blood is what he lived with and he shed for us that gave us forgiveness of sin. It's a shadow of the past and he wanted us to remember it. I would not die for anybody in this room. Maybe Nicole, but maybe not. It's debatable, okay? But God so loved the world that he didn't even think twice that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross of Calvary to save you from the punishment that you deserved. And he never debated it. It was always the plan. And you were that valuable. So today, we remember his blood that was shed. Drink ye all of it. Now, Oh my goodness, he's getting his, out his Bible again. That's right. I want you to listen to this Hebrews passage. We've read part of it. But I want to read it to you again. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with the rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, there's a tabernacle in heaven. That's what this is saying. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which was on earth, which are copies of the true things, which are in heaven, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, just like a high priest would. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood that's not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Every time the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, there was a nation of people waiting for him to come out and rejoice that he came out. Because if he died in there, that, means they, that meant they had to do it all over again. So they were eagerly waiting for his return and for that... Our sins are covered. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus has shed his blood and went to the heavenly places and placed his blood up there to take care of our sins. And now we are the ones that are eagerly awaiting his return to make everything correct. Whew. There is a great end to this story. It's not Hallmark. It's not Disney. It's Jehovah Jireh. And it does so much more for our souls and our beings. 
He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because that was once for all, but to save those who are eagerly waiting on him. I wish it was before this service ended. It would be awesome. So with that in mind, we are going to sing a final song of praise to God and close out our service.